Presbyterian pastor, Reverend Frederick Buckner, maybe it's Friedrich, I don't know. He has a book, a classic book, <clears throat> telling, uh, the book was entitled, Telling the Truth, the Gospel as Tragedy and Comedy and Fairy Tale. And I, and I want to be very careful when we talk about fairy tale. I don't, I'm not in any means saying the, this is a fairy tale, right? But, but reading it as... Um, anyway, listen to what he says. I think he explains it better than I could. He says, I think that these parables, the two parables we told last week and this parable today, these parables can be read as jokes about God in the sense that what they are essentially about is the outlandishness of God who does impossible things with impossible people. And I believe that the comedy of them is not just a device for making the truth uh, that they contain go down easy, but that the truth they contain can itself be thought of as comic. It is hard to think of any place where this is more important or more apparent than the greatest parable of them all, the one that is in its own way, the one that is in his own way, both the most comic and the most sad, the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son as a comedy? Jesus was telling a joke? Let's break it down. Let's look at what this is all about, what we just read today. Let's read between the lines of things that may have been there that maybe we missed contextually because Jesus was speaking to a very specific group of people and telling this story to a very specific group of people. Remember, they were saying, this fellow eats with sinners. It's going to ruin his reputation. And so this is a continuation of Jesus' um, response to that accusation. At the very base of this story, we're reading about a very dysfunctional family. Think about it. It's about a wealthy single parent, a father. We don't hear about the mother, so the father has to be a single parent. And his two sons. And his sons hate him. They both hate him. The youngest one, his son gave everything to him. Just was, everything he wanted, he got. And, and one day, he just got tired of being there in the house. And he didn't like the rules. And one day, he just comes, the youngest one comes to his father and in a temper tantrum says, I am tired of living here. I am tired of these rules. I am tired of you, old man. I want out of here. You're a terrible father. Just give me my portion, the portion of my inheritance, and I'll be out of here. Dysfunctional family. Such disrespect. Such ingratitude for everything that the father had done for his son. I'm sure the father only wanted the very best for both of his boys. The father had every right to, to lecture his younger son. Now you listen here, young son. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. 
I don't know. I used that on my kids at one point. You, you listen here, you spoiled brat. You're going to spoil all my money before I'm even dead. No, that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says that the father took the inheritance and divvied it up between these two sons that hated him and gave it to him. What father does that? Such a dysfunctional family, to be sure. And sure enough, the younger boy leaves town and blows his entire inheritance. Maybe got some sleeves, you know, tattoo sleeves. Maybe a teardrop tattoo on his eye. I don't know. Hung out at all the clubs. Was with a different woman every night. I don't know. That's what the Bible says. He, he, he didn't spend his money well at all. And, and I want to also be very clear. Yeah, there was lots of consequences for his behavior, but honestly, the Bible says that there was a famine in the land. Everybody was suffering. Did you catch that? So there, there really wasn't conse- direct consequences for his behavior. There was a famine in the land. So he lost all his money. There's a famine in the land. Scene change. There he is sitting, feeding pigs, wishing they would share. Starving. And out of not repentance, but out of hunger, this kid decides, I'm going back home. At least my father's servants get fed three squares a day and snacks probably. Um, now, what can I say that will make him want to bring me back? And so he devised this, this phrase that he was going to say to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. That was not an apology. There's nothing in there that says, forgive me. None of that. No apology. Such dysfunctionality. So, he starts to walk home and he's rehearsing this line. Father, I have sinned against you and against God. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's practicing, I can, I can see him practicing his body language and, and practicing his facial expressions. You know, maybe I squeeze a tear out of my eye. I don't, I don't know. I've got to make him really sympathize with me so he'll want to bring me home because I don't deserve any of this. But I'm starving. I've got to eat. As the story goes, scene change again. The father is at the house. Maybe he's working on his golf swing. I don't know. Maybe he's out at the tennis courts. It's my imagination. But here's the thing. His father caught an eye. Caught, his son caught his father's eye. 
And his father turned around and, is that, is that my, is that my youngest son? Yes, it is. <clears throat> and the son sees his father. His father pulls up his robes and runs much harder and faster than a man of his age should be running. <laughs> and I can imagine him tripping once or twice and getting himself back up and continuing to run. And his son is bracing for impact. <laughs> can you see it in your mind's eye? He's bracing for this impact. He knows there's going to be a hug. He doesn't know why. And as his father approaches, he says, his rehearsed line, Father, I have sinned again. <laughs> Smothered by a bear hug. Did you catch that? There was no, oh, where happened to all my money? There was no, what's up with that tattoo on your eye? There was, there was no, what happened to all your clothes? There was no, I told you this would happen. There was none of that, only love. Do you catch that? In this age, we'd call that dysfunctionality. This would have been a learning experience for this boy. This would have been an opportunity for this father to say, see, I told you so. If you would have listened to what I... But no. God, before the kid even got his rehearsed lines out, gave him a hug, embraced him. There were no I told you so's. There were no what happened to all the money. There was no we need to talk. Only happy tears. And put some clothes on that boy. You lost your family ring? That's okay. Here, take mine. Y'all, let's slaughter the fatted calf. We're going to have steak tonight. We're going to have ourselves a hoot nanny. We're going to have a party. Mm. Dysfunctional. By the way, he forgot to invite the older son to the party. We know that because the Bible tells us. The son hears this party going on. He hears the loud music and the boom, boom, boom and the... <clears throat> He sees in the distance somebody doing the electric slide and maybe the worm. And, you know, I don't know. They're partying, and they're partying hard. And he sees that, and he looks at one of the groundskeepers and says, What's up? And the groundskeeper says, Oh, you haven't heard. Your baby brother has come home, and we're having a party for him. You didn't get the invitation? No, he didn't get the invitation. Somebody forgot to invite him. Now, let's take a distance look at the older son. Here, this older son was doing everything right. He was rocking the Dave Ramsey plan. He was staying out of debt. He was saving money. He had money in the bank, earning interest. He was living a safe life. He was living a good life. He was... He was just doing everything right. Hmm. And yet the younger one, 
that wasted all the money is getting the party. That's dysfunctional. And so the older son goes to his, the suite in his mansion, the, his suite in the mansion, and starts to pack his things. He's leaving. I'm out of here. The father pops his head around the corner with a big grin on his face, and then his, the grin disappears as he sees his older son packing his bags. Where are you going, son? I'm out of here. Why? Because your irresponsible son, the one who blew through all your inheritance, is getting a party. I didn't go anywhere. I was careful with my money. You didn't even roast a goat for me and my, fam and my friends. You're a terrible dad. But you could have had a party anytime you wanted. You have always been with me. Your brother was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. Can't, can't you see that, son? Come party with me. Come and celebrate with us all. This father was more excited about the rebellious son than he was about the one who did everything right. Such dysfunctionality. The church here is family. And God's love for us is incomprehensible as individuals and as community. God's love for us is incomprehensible. So much so that it's hard to wrap our minds around it. I think maybe sometimes we, we, we like to see God through as, as a human. And God is not human. God is God, right? But sometimes we like to put attrib human attributes to God. We like to put them in our little safe box and, and say, you stay in here and, and, and God, you should have done this. And, and, and God, you, you shouldn't love this person. Or God, this person is doing this or that. You tell them, we're telling God how to not love this person. <laughs> And God's like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care about your boxes. All I want is love. I want to love my people. I want to love my children. And all I want in return is love from my children in return. And then and only then, when we understand just a hair of God's love for us, and we love God in return, then and only then, then and only then, can we love God each other, no strings attached. Then and only then can we be family. God's love for us just doesn't make sense. We are dysfunctional. Yet in our messiness, in our dysfunctionality, God loves us all the more. God wants us to love us. God wants to love us. All he asks in return is that we love him too. And in so doing so, we can demonstrate 
grace and love to our siblings in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, loving God, we don't deserve it. Sometimes we don't even ask for it. But your love is still there. We don't understand it. We don't have to understand it. But I just ask right now that each one here in this space, in this worship space, feels your presence in their souls, that they feel your peace that only you can give, that they can sense that only you can love as deeply as you do. God, I want to create some space right here, right now. There are a lot of petitions here that need to be voiced. There, are, there is a lot of hurt in this space. There are people who need to feel your love. They need to see your hand in their lives. So God, right here and right now, I create space for each and every person here and those watching online to bring their petitions to you. God, in your mercy, hear our prayers. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.